Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson and with me is Aaron Miller. This is our question of the week episode in which we tackle a big question that's on people's minds in consumer technology this week. And so this week, given that Facebook held its F8 developer conference, the question of the week is Facebook-centric. So the question is, what's the state of innovation at Facebook? Uh, and we're going to use F8 and the announcements that Facebook made there and the other presentations that were made there as a lens for looking at this. And so I was, I was there in person this week, enjoyed being there uh, for the first time, sitting through the keynotes and sitting through quite a few other presentations and chatting with people there. So I'm going to be sharing some of my views about uh, F8 and the announcements that were made there and specifically um, this idea of innovation at Facebook and and kind of where that stands and, and how it seems to be going. Uh, that'll be the focus of this episode. We'll have a News Roundup episode up tomorrow, Friday, uh, as well as a follow-up. So we'll have both our episodes this week after taking a break on the question of the week last week. So that's uh, the plan for this episode, and uh, I'll be answering the questions, and so Aaron will be asking the questions. So, yeah, I think it's probably best to start with a rundown of what happened at F8. They made a lot of announcements, so there's a lot to cover. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they It's a two-day event, um, so uh, each day starts with a keynote, uh, so the first day keynote started with Mark Zuckerberg talking for a fair amount of time, and then he handed over to various other people. Second day keynote uh, was led by the CTO, and he introduced several different topics, and then various subject matter experts drilled down on each of those. Uh, and then during the course of the rest of each day, there were a whole variety of other sessions with different tracks around VR, around AR, around uh, Instagram and Messenger, and various other aspects of Facebook's business. So that was kind of the format of the event. Uh, day one, the keynote was very much focused on kind of today's products and how those are evolving. And so I think there were sort of three big announcements there around uh, the camera effects platform, uh, which is their kind of AR play uh, on phones, Facebook Spaces, which is their social VR play, and their Messenger platform 2.0. And then the second day keynote was very much more forward-looking. And so at last year's event, Mark Zuckerberg kind of outlined a 10-year roadmap for Facebook and its various products and so on. Uh, this, I'd say, kind of mostly focused on, focused on the second half of that 10-year roadmap. So that was kind of the, the big stuff was the stuff announced in the keynotes, of which, as I say, the first day was mostly product stuff. The second day was mostly sort of forward-looking R&D type stuff. So that was kind of the, the big stuff in that second day there was a fair bit of detail around AI, around uh, connectivity, around AR, um, and the sort of roadmap for AR. And then lastly, whole set of projects being worked on by what's called Building 8, which is a new sort of hardware R&D um, lab, if you like, that's been run by Regina Dugan, who used to run a similar uh, area at, uh, at Google, and before that worked for DARPA, the big uh, defense uh, research lab. So interesting sort of set of announcements, interesting structure to the event. Well, and so let's talk first about the product announcements on day one. I mean, what what, what do they have to say about the state of innovation at Facebook? Because these are the more immediate types of things, the, the things we'll right. see much quicker. So so give us a sense of, of what this is telling us about innovation there. Yeah, absolutely. So there were three that I mentioned just now, and I'll kind of recap those quickly here. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg got up, talked about various other things first, talked about community, which is a big theme for him at the moment, it was a theme of his sort of manifesto from a little while back. Uh, but the first real sort of 
product announcement that they made was around augmented reality. And really, this was a concession that, yes, eventually we think this is all going to go to glasses or contact lenses or something that's kind of wearable. But for now, augmented reality is all about the smartphone. And their play in augmented reality is about what they call the camera effects platform. And this is really about overlaying various things on the real world through the cameras in Facebook's various apps. And so there's definitely an AR component to that, and that was really where they spent the bulk of the time. But there's also simpler stuff like frames and so on, which just wrap around the outside of the picture and are sort of two-dimensional. So they don't actually interact with the real world in any way. They're just kind of overlaid on a picture of the real world. Uh, The AR stuff's far more interesting. And this is mostly similar to what Snapchat has done with lenses previously. So both the selfie lenses where you get to sort of pretend you're a dog or various other things, uh, or the the sort of backward-facing camera lenses where you look at the real world and various things get sort of superimposed on it. They're really taking that concept. They don't call it lenses. They call it camera effects. Um, But it's the same concept where you're you're overlaying things on the real world in a way that interacts with it. So if it's a selfie thing, then it's stuff that attaches to your face or your body in some way. Uh, it could be sort of an over like a, a color overlay. It could be a mask of some kind. It could be a hat. It could be any number of other things. It could be sort of animal features or whatever like Snapchat likes to do. Uh, there's a whole range of these sort of features there. And as I say, it's very reminiscent of Uh, Snapchat's lenses feature. Uh, And that's important because Facebook's been criticized over the last couple of years now for basically trying to clone Snapchat, and especially since Instagram launched Instagram Stories last year, and that's been very successful for them. That was a direct clone of a Snapchat feature called Stories as well, which has been very successful for them. And all kinds of stories last week about the fact that the the number of users on Instagram stories has now surpassed Snapchat's total number of users. So, um, you know, this is the narrative and, and it's a reasonable one. Facebook really does seem to have done a lot in this area that just mimics what other people and notably Snapchat have done. And so this, this camera effects platform feels a lot like that. Uh, but it was interesting to see the way that Mark Zuckerberg kind of spun it, which was, you know, act one, as he put it, was cameras. So now we have cameras in all our apps. They do this stuff. Act two is creating a platform around this. And so that is where they depart a little bit from what Snapchat's done in the past, which is really creating their own lenses and then allowing companies to come in and sponsor a lens. And my understanding is they work with the company to actually craft the lens. You know, the brand will say what they want it to be or whatever, and Snapchat will come up with some ideas and then they'll craft a lens. And so famously they did a taco-centric one where your head looked like a taco or whatever as a promotion for, I think it was Taco Bell. Um, And they've done various other similar things with other brands over time. So around the Super Bowl, they had a Budweiser lens where you could sort of play various versions of a football game and and so on um so they've done a lot of that kind of sponsor stuff but it's mostly been their own stuff and then a few sponsor things where companies actually pay to put their brand on a lens in the snapchat app and then there's a very small number of curated lenses available at any given time about 10 or so what facebook's doing is turning this into a platform saying this is going to be open to developers any developer can create it and I sat through a session where they showed the actual tool that you use. It's called AR Studio to, to create these effects. And it's actually very simple. You don't really need to know any code at all. It's very sort of drag and drop. So as long as you have artistic skills or can pay somebody who's artistic to actually create the, the assets like a mask or some other elements that you want to add to your camera effect, you just kind of drag and drop the various effects in and then you can preview how they're going to look. And you can do that both for the selfie camera and for the rear-facing camera. And so this is an advance over what Snapchat's done. And it's really this creation of the platform that Facebook was emphasizing. 
However, for today, to users, it looks a lot like Snapchat lenses. It performs in very much the same way. And of course, the morning of that first day of F8 on Tuesday morning, Snapchat announced what it called World Lenses, which was a real focus on the rear-facing camera and, and some new stuff that you can do with that. Uh, on paper and, and based on the demos that we saw on stage, Facebook stuff looks a lot more sophisticated because in time, at least, it's going to really interact with the environment. So it's going to uh, detect planes and surfaces like tables and walls and things like that and allow objects to stick to those or to interact with them to disappear behind an object on a table when it's behind that object uh, and things like that. Where Snapchat's world lenses, there are three-dimensional objects, but they basically only move back and forward. They don't really interact in any meaningful way with the sort of topology of whatever you're looking at. So uh, as I say, very familiar uh, in terms of the sort of user-facing features. What's different is the platform uh, that, that Facebook's trying to create around this. And there's a big question about whether that will be successful because platforms need developer adoption, which means you have to convince developers it's worthwhile to develop for. And for now, there's no talk whatsoever about monetizing those things. So you could see brands building some of this stuff as a way to sort of promote their brand and they wouldn't have to pay for it because if you, and I, this is from a discussion I had with some people uh, around the show, uh, it appears that the way this will work is if you as an individual or you as a brand develop a filter um, for, or a camera effect and you release it, then any person who's either friends with you or follows your page or whatever will see that effect show up in their version of the camera. So this won't be like there'll be a huge store with thousands of options for camera effects. It'll basically be only stuff that's being created by people that you follow or brands that you follow. And so it's going to be quite manageable in that sense. Um, but the big question is just monetization. It doesn't really seem like Facebook has a plan for allowing developers to make money from these things yet. So it's going to be mostly promotional, mostly about uh, getting your creativity out there and that kind of thing. But some some sort of imagination there, but very familiar, as I say. And that familiarity is kind of a theme that's going to go through the other two product announcements that I'll talk about too. Facebook Spaces is their first social VR product. They kind of demoed something very similar conceptually last year, but it was pretty basic. It's really come a long way and is now ready to be released through Oculus. Um, but you know, this is, again, something that exists already elsewhere. So there's a company called... Uh, Alt Space VR, for example, that does virtual meetings uh, through VR is a very, very similar concept. And there are others that have demoed similar things or have actual products that are out there already around the same concept. So again, a familiar concept, not a brand new one, not particularly imaginative. Uh, I got to demo this and it's quite fun. Uh, it's really an immersive environment. You know, it's in Oculus, which is a very high quality VR environment. Uh, you can interact with these objects. You see the other person. You're both represented by avatars. It doesn't really feel like it's the real person, but you quickly get used to the fact that that is that person because you see them speaking and their mouth moves and you've got various gestures and things that you can do. You've got controllers in each hand, so your hands can move around. Your facial features are controlled by joysticks on the, on the uh, keypads, which you generally don't think about using, um, to be honest, while you're in there, unless you're taking a picture or something you want a particular pose. But you get to customize your avatar, try to make it look like you. And there's some clever stuff where it pulls from uh, pictures of you uh, so that you know you can kind of get a head start. You don't have to start from scratch. It's quite clever. So it was fun. It was interesting. It's a nice proof of concept. I couldn't see myself spending any time in it. That was my problem with it. It was like it, it seemed like a great demonstration of the kind of stuff that's possible, but it just didn't feel like a place I'd actually want to spend time. I'm not necessarily representative of everybody, but 
Um, you know, there will be people who want to spend time in these kinds of environments, especially if they're distant from their friends but want to sort of spend some time with them. But there's definitely a big part of you that's thinking, why wouldn't I just FaceTime or even use Facebook Messenger video to, to interact with somebody? So not convinced that's going to be a huge hit. The other big limitation, obviously, is it's just an Oculus. And so, you know, I could go on there, but literally none of my friends have an Oculus Rift. And so there is nobody else I could communicate with in this way. So there's a way to dial out to Facebook Messenger and have a conversation where you're in virtual reality, they're in actual reality. That doesn't feel like it's going to be all that compelling. And so not unless Facebook Spaces makes its way to Gear VR, Daydream VR, and some of the other lower-cost platforms that have got more mainstream adoption, is this really going to be something you can actually use with most of your friends unless they're also kind of hardcore gamers that have invested in Oculus. So... That one, again, familiarity, not just from last year's keynote, but from other products that have been out there already. Looks kind of fun, not all that compelling just yet. And then the third big thing they announced that first day was the Messenger Platform 2.0. And last year, they launched their bot strategy, which is kind of Messenger Platform 1. Um, and it was a bit of a disaster, frankly. It was just way too ambitious. It was really framed as replacing apps for pretty much everything under the sun. And that was always uh, over-egging it. It was really uh, overly ambitious. And... It was really basic. It was basically like a messenger conversation. There were no buttons or menus or anything like that, really. And so it was a lot of hard work for a developer to try to create a meaningful experience and, and a lot of work for a user to try to have a conversation with a bot in that environment. And so um, in that sense, it was it was pretty poor as an experience and, and really struggled to get developer adoption. What we've seen in the year since, and there were some new announcements this year, was a lot of emphasis on making that a much more usable, user-friendly uh, developer-friendly platform and so lots of uh, menus and buttons and things like that to make it easier to communicate a lot less typing now uh, a lot more sophisticated than it was and, and it's now a much better platform but they've also really moderated what it is they're trying to achieve so whereas last year's vision felt like it was about uh, trying to replace apps uh, this year real feels like it's mostly about trying to replace the call center which feels like a much more reasonable goal but it's a lot less sexy so you're not, this isn't the next thing that comes after apps. This is the next thing that comes after a call center. So it's less exciting but more realistic, and I think that realism is a good thing. But again, it's very familiar. If you look at the stuff they've added to the bots platform and so on over the past year, a lot of it's very much what's already been done in China in messaging apps over the last few years. So again, there's that theme of familiarity, and that's the problem really. It didn't feel like anything that Facebook was announcing was really new or surprising. It really all felt very familiar felt like stuff we've seen before elsewhere, not that ambitious, not that daring. There was nothing where you really went, wow, they're taking a risk with this or, you know, wow, this is really going to change things. It, it felt very much like what other people have done before, what Facebook's done before and he tweaked. So, yeah, it wasn't that the innovation wasn't that great, frankly. And, and so there were a lot of headlines that came out sort of Wednesday morning saying, you know, it seems like Facebook's kind of forgotten how to innovate. And although I think that's probably a bit of a stretch, um, you know, there, there's some some uh, sort of merit to that argument. And, and that was the feeling that kind of came out of those first day product announcements. Well, and there's a, something of a theme. There appears to be something of a theme with the first two, which is that both of them are invoking tools that that aren't widely used. And that's really obvious for the Oculus, right? But But I think it's maybe a little less obvious but important with the camera apps for Facebook. Because I'm thinking outside of stories in Instagram and Facebook Live, I don't I, I don't know very many people who use Facebook's 
camera apps or right. camera software to do what they're going to do. Yeah. Most people I know when they're posting on Instagram, they're using the built-in camera on their phone. Right. And then pulling a picture into Instagram. That's a and great the, point. Yeah. And the same is true with Facebook. And, and so it's a funny thing, right, that they're putting all this emphasis on cameras. And the reality is I don't think people use Facebook camera software all that much. Now, stories in Instagram are pretty big, so that's obviously the huge yeah. exception. Mm -hmm. And Facebook Live is something that anecdotally I see people experimenting with but not really heavily relying on. Right. And so it, what's interesting to me is that the two of these big, three big announcements had to do with uh, tools that, are, that you couldn't call widely used. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, um, uh, this is one of the biggest questions about this AR, the camera effects platform, is, you know, if you want to attract developers, they have to be sure that this is the place where the action is going to be. Um, and to your point, uh, you know, there are people who use the Facebook cameras and, and perhaps in Instagram stories more so than elsewhere. Um, but yes, a lot of people will use the native camera app in their operating system, whether that's iOS or Android. And so for now, there is no equivalent in iOS or Android. You have to do this within Snapchat where people do use the camera and that's really, you know, central to the Snapchat experience. Um, but uh, you know, six months from now, I mean, two months from now at WWDC, we could see Apple launch something very similar. Um, you know, and when they've got new hardware in the fall with even more sophisticated dual cameras across the line, um, you know, you could see them go really big on something like AR and filters and lenses and things like that. So if that happens, you have to wonder, you know, that's the camera app people are used to using. And if it's built in there, you know, you can still see them sharing to Facebook. Apple doesn't have a social network and Google does, but it's not popular. Um, you could still see this stuff being shared to Facebook, but it's not going to be created in Facebook. So if you're a developer, do you go to Facebook and develop stuff for that platform or do you wait a few months and see what Google and Apple do and then decide to develop for that instead? And so that's the big question in my mind is, and this goes along with the monetization point that I made earlier, Apple's very good at giving developers not only very popular platforms, but platforms where they can monetize. And Facebook hasn't done that well. And so uh, even though they have, you know, more than twice as many users as Apple does, um, they don't do as well with the monetization aspect. And so there's that big question about, you know, does this stuff belong in the native camera app or in, say, Facebook or somewhere else? And, and you know, I'm leaning towards the OS if it shows up there, which I think it probably will in the next year or so. Totally agree. And it'll be interesting to see how much traction Facebook's camera software can pick up. Okay, well, let's talk about the other presentations because that was, I mean, this is the sort of stuff that seemed a lot more incremental, but there was there were some other things announced that were very forward-thinking but maybe a little more remote in, in, in their realization. Yeah, yeah, and this was the interesting thing about it because there were all these articles that came out either Tuesday evening or Wednesday morning which was sort of saying, oh, Facebook isn't innovating, they're just copying Snapchat and so on and so forth. And then you went into this keynote on Wednesday morning and you end up hearing about you know, helicopters providing or drones providing connectivity or, you know, um, hearing about brain computer interfaces and listening with your skin. And um, it was a great sort of uh, Regina Dugan's was the last presentation um, on, uh, on Wednesday morning. And, you know, the, the sort of screenshot that really sort of summarized the feel of the whole thing. Uh, she had lots of sort of sentences up on her slides. And the, one of the last sentences she put up was, think in Mandarin, feel in Spanish. You know, so you go from that kind of Tuesday morning keynote where it all feels very incremental and familiar to Wednesday morning where 
you have this sort of mind blowing stuff that feels like it's out of a science fiction movie. Yeah, I um, gotta admit, I didn't, I didn't even know what that one means. Yeah, and the idea <laughs> like was, I think, I think that. in Mandarin, and you feel in Spanish because you know I speak Chinese, you speak Spanish, and so yeah. I'm thinking a thought in Mandarin, and because of the brain computer interface, it translates it to you. Only you don't hear, and so it's transmitted through your skin, so you feel it in Spanish. You know, that was right. kind of the idea, but it, it was just, I mean. Uh, as I say, the contrast between the two days could not have been greater. So first day characterized by this sort of familiarity, this sense of we've seen this all before, this incrementalism, this sort of very cautious, careful, sort of plodding forward movement and so on. And then, you know, Wednesday morning, you have this crazy out there stuff that feels like it's out of a science fiction movie, it's sort of full of sort of ambition and audacity and imagination and creativity and, you know, lots of this, you know, amazing stuff that's just mind-blowing. And so the headlines on Wednesday were, you know, all about Facebook wants to read your thoughts and all this kind of stuff, you know, very different set of headlines from Tuesday. And in some ways you could say, you know, all those people that wrote those headlines Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning off the back of the first day stuff looked kind of silly because, you know, yes, of course they can innovate. Look at this amazing stuff they're doing. Um, and it's worth talking through that stuff in a bit more detail because um, there were a lot of really interesting aspects to that second day. But, yeah, the contrast is striking. Um, you know, one of the first things they talked about was uh, AR and timelines for AR. And so it's kind of piggybacked off the first day stuff where Mark Zuckerberg said, we're working on glasses and contact lenses, but it's years away. So for today, smartphone is kind of where the AR action is. And I think that's absolutely right. It's, you know, increasingly everybody has a smartphone every smartphone has a camera and almost every modern smartphone has enough processing power to do at least some of this ar stuff so that's absolutely the place to focus and it's where i think we'll see apple focus this year with ar as well um but you know the the, the sort of long-term theory is this is going to be wearable because if you've got it permanently on your face you know all day long through glasses or through contact lenses or whatever it means it can be useful to you throughout the day and and whereas the camera effect stuff is very much in the fun category there are a lot of other things that could be much more useful so we get notifications on our wrist if we have a smartwatch today but you can get notifications in your retina essentially through contact lenses or whatever where you know the stuff's just overlaid on the world around you it's very personalized it's very intimate nobody else can see it or even be aware that it's happening and yet it can be very useful to you and there are lots of use cases for that but what um, Michael Abrash the, the presenter of that part of the presentation made very clear was this is years off and so he said it's it's at least five years before we even start to see the ramp to this kind of all-day wearable AR stuff uh, and he, he talked about it having a Macintosh moment kind of the, you know he gave it it was a there's the other interesting thing about the second day keynote. It was very explanatory, very educational, as such very interesting, but not nearly as newsworthy. So lots of explanation, lots of context, lots of background. And they like to do that in the second day keynote at F8. It was very much the same theme last year as well. Uh, and so it's great. If you want to learn about this stuff, it's a great way to do that. Uh, but there was a very long sort of history of the computer and, and interfaces and various other things. But part of the point of that history was to say, look, back in 1971, you know, uh, these sort of new interfaces were just starting to be developed at R&D labs and that kind of thing. And it wasn't until the 80s that we finally got the mouse and the GUI and all the rest of it. And so he was saying, we're kind of in 1971 as regards AR right now. Like a lot of the te underlying technology is being developed, but it's nowhere near where it's going to be sort of mass market stuff. And so that was interesting to hear that. And there was a lot of 
you know, really good stuff that they're working on that's part of the eventual picture there. But he, he, the, the theme throughout that presentation was the underlying technology basically hasn't been invented yet that's going to allow this stuff to actually happen and be real. So that was a big theme there. Another big chunk was about connectivity. And so Facebook has a whole bunch of different efforts around connectivity, which really ranged from uh, sort of very high-density city environments all the way out to covering emerging markets and remote areas and so on. And uh, they're experimenting with a few different things. So they've got uh, millimeter wave technology, which is this very high-frequency band of wireless spectrum uh, that's very good for line of sight. So if you can see the thing you're trying to transmit to, it's great, but it doesn't go through anything, basically. So if um, you know, there's a bus in the way or a tree in the way or anything like that, basically stops working. And so they've been working with all kinds of clever algorithms to figure out if you were trying to cover a city with this technology, where would you put the towers and then how would you build in redundancy and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of presentations about that. Um, and they, they've got a drone called Aquila that's got the wingspan of a 737 but weighs like a, the same as a small car or something um, and is powered by the sort of equivalent of three hair dryers, I guess. So it's a very sort of power-efficient drone that's supposed to uh, pick up spectrum from the ground and then broadcast it to other places where it needs to go. Because we've got lots of these activities. But again, the theme was, you know, Aquila's kind of, they've, they've done some test flights, it works. They've also tested the wireless technology, but the drone isn't yet delivering the wireless technology. And that's years away. And there's lots of regulatory stuff to get through and so on. So it was just this real theme that this is really cool stuff we're working on. A lot of it was really very clever. And almost all of it, frankly, very different from being what's being done today. So the approach to AR is very different from what we're seeing in AR today. Um, it's very much about stuff that looks like normal glasses, for example, rather than a big headset that you wear. Uh, the connectivity stuff is completely different from how carriers deliver connectivity today. And then the Regina Dugan stuff about your brain talking to computers and all this kind of stuff was all, again, very different from the kind of voice and touch interfaces that everybody's talking about today. So, you know, the, the, it was very different, very imaginative, very unique, um, and so on. But again, very long term in nature. So mostly, as I say, in the second half of that 10 year roadmap, and frankly, a lot of it probably will never exist. Uh, it's experimental, and it probably will never work out, you know, it's very much in that sort of moonshot category. And so there was this ambition, this daring, this creativity, and so on on display in that second day, which was completely missing from the first day. Uh, and yet there was this, you know, this massive contrast between the two days, big sort of keynotes and announcements. You know, and when when I think about the second day, I stop and have to ask myself what Facebook gets out of those announcements. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I get, I realize there's some buzz, but that's the sort of buzz that wears off because people are always talking about these, these, right. these, these very long distance future projections of what technology is going to be like. I guess I don't understand why you don't just sit in the lab and work on it until it's ready. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I think, you know, it was interesting because I got asked about this by a reporter earlier this week and, you know, kind of why do companies do moonshots? Why does Google do it? Why does Facebook do it? And I, I kind of came up with three reasons in response to that question. I'll just go through them very briefly. I think one is it's for employees. Employees want to work on cool stuff. So moving around the buttons in Messenger isn't all that exciting. And yet a lot of engineers yeah. at Facebook do that kind of stuff. And yet, you know, some of them will want something new to do. And in order to retain those employees and attract new ones, you want to have this really cool stuff to work on too. And so there's that. Um, there's burnishing the company's innovation credentials. And this is kind of what we'll come back to in a minute, I think. But um, you know, you want to get a reputation of being a company that invents cool stuff. And this is some of the cool stuff out there. And uh, so it's good PR, frankly, as well. And then the third thing is, you know, a lot of the R&D that goes into these long-term projects 
uh, ends up making its way back into the short-term products as well. So you figure out how to do this thing. Well, we're not quite ready to do that yet, but actually the same technique that we developed to do that, we can use to do camera lenses or whatever else it might be. And so, you know, that's the nature of R&D is you think you're creating this thing, but it turns out it's really useful for that other thing. Um, you know, we see this in pharmaceuticals. We see this in, you know, uh, the space program came up with all kinds of stuff that, that either was or wasn't useful in the space program, but that we use every day now for other things. And, you know, it's the nature of R&D is, is you experiment with stuff and sometimes it's not what you expected, but it ends up being useful anyway somewhere else. And so it's really about the kind of the, the employee retention and attraction, the sort of PR side of things. And then it's about, you know, creating cool stuff that some of which is actually usable today, even if the project has a longer term time scale. So I think that's why companies do this. You know, to your point, you know, announcing something that you don't actually turn into a product anytime soon, that memory fades pretty quickly. So you have to kind of keep up a steady drumbeat of cool stuff. Otherwise, the memories fade and it stops being useful for PR purposes. But I think the other two purposes are still served fairly well by it. You reconcile then these moonshots, these very far out announcements with the very seemingly small and incremental ones, especially because the ones that are available are the incremental ones. How do we reconcile these in our image of Facebook? And, and I mean, are they really just like doing tiny steps and then, then have these crazy moonshots, but there's sort of nothing in between? Like what is, how would this relate to the original question about the state of innovation at Facebook? Yeah. And I, I think, and I'll try and be brief about kind of answering this, but I think it's really the crux of it. Uh, and I wrote, I wrote a piece for Tech Opinions, which hasn't gone up just yet, maybe up by the time you hear this, um, called Facebook's Innovation Chasm. And and really it's about the chasm between these two things. So on the one hand, you have this very short-term stuff that feels incremental, familiar, a lot of copying, frankly, and cloning, um, not very imaginative, certainly not daring. And then on the other hand, you have this massively ambitious stuff. It's very different, very out there, you know, really interesting uh, but can't be used by anybody probably for years to come. And so you've got this chasm between those two, and and it feels like a lot of the, the, the sort of mentality that applies to that second set of stuff needs to be reapplied back to the first set of stuff. Um, and I think there's two reasons probably why that's not happening. I think one is... Um, the short-term stuff is always very tactical. It's about winning today, about achieving today's short-term objectives. So it's about maximizing revenue opportunities, which means putting ads in more places. So a lot of the innovation goes into where else can we put ads? What new products can we create that can hold ad units and therefore increase our total ad load? Um, you know, How do we win users back from Snapchat or whatever today's competitor may be? And so it's very tactical. And so even though you have these big strategic objectives, the short-term stuff ends up responding to these tactical imperatives and so ends up being very grounded in the here and now uh, and ends up being very incremental. Um, so I think that's one of them. And I think the other thing is with 2 billion users, you have to be super careful what you do. And so I think some of the, you know, and Facebook explicitly moved away from its old move fast and break things mentality to move fast with stable infrastructure, you know, and if ever there was sort of a sign of a maturing company, that's it. But I think a side effect of that has been it's less willing to do big, interesting things now. It, it's much more incremental in its thinking. Um, because it doesn't want to break things. And at the same time, it's kind of shoving things where they don't belong. So the stories clones that have showed up in Messenger and in other places really haven't worked that well because Facebook's just kind of shoehorn them in rather than really thinking about how they work best in those new settings. And so, um, you know, I think we we see from Facebook this kind of, on the one hand, this this these tactical objectives kind of pushing them to do things that aren't all that exciting. 
um, while at the same time uh, the sort of daring that characterizes the R&D efforts doesn't make it in there because it doesn't fit with the tactical objectives because they're worried about breaking stuff, about breaking the user experience around uh, their core products that have so many users now that the, the consequences would be terrible if they did something wrong. But as a result, they're, they're very rarely willing to do something really new and interesting and different. And so, you know, I think for those reasons, they've become less daring and interesting. And it's kind of funny in the context of um, Amazon's shareholder letter that came out, I think, last week. Jeff Bezos wrote this year's shareholder letter. And the thing he always talks about is day one and day two. And he, or his mantra is kind of it's still day one for Amazon. Like his whole mentality is it's still early days in the internet. Uh, you know, we need to have that mentality. And in the shareholder letter this year, he really talked up what that day one mentality means. And he talked about day two companies, companies that start to think it's day two. And it's ironic to think about day one and day two in the context of what I've just been talking about with Facebook, because at Facebook, the day one stuff was very day two in Jeff Bezos terms. So it was very much about what companies do when they become mature and big and uh, slow down, basically. And the day two stuff at Facebook was very much what Jeff Bezos calls day one, sort of the imagination, the innovation, the iteration, the, the, the rapid change and so on. And so um, I think what Facebook needs to get back to is, is that the same mentality that is evident in its R&D efforts and getting that back into the product teams that are actually working on stuff that developers and users are seeing today and tomorrow. And I think that's a big challenge. It's not an easy cultural change to make. Uh, but I think they really needed to do that because otherwise they're going to get this increasing reputation for a lack of innovation and for copying far more than they create. Uh, and I think it'd be really a real shame because I think Facebook really has come up with some interesting stuff over the years. And uh, clearly they've got interesting stuff in the R&D labs and they just need to kind of connect the dots and bring that kind of innovation back to the kind of here and now. Uh, fascinating rundown. And I really appreciate all the extra insight from you having been there. Yeah, no problem. Well, um, this, as I said, will be the first of two episodes that we'll do this week. We'll have a news roundup episode that we'll record tomorrow afternoon. Should be up by Friday late afternoon as well. Um, as always, let us know if you have questions you'd like us to answer. Uh, if you have other feedback on the, the podcast, the format of the podcast or anything else, we'll, we'll have links to some relevant stuff on uh, the website as usual as well and in the show notes too. And uh, we look forward to being with you again, not just tomorrow, but next week as well. So thanks very much. Bye-bye.